Need a website for your business, but not looking to break the bank for one? I've got you covered. Hi, it's me, Ashley M. Lyle, founder and CEO of Blacken and host of the Black Queens on Stage podcast. And yes, I also have a website business, Sites by Lyle. I can create a dynamic website for your business that will showcase your work, wow potential clients, and close more sales. So contact me on my Instagram at Sites by Lyle to schedule your free 30-minute evaluation so we can get you started on your new website. Welcome to the Black Queens on Stage podcast, presented by Black Literature and Art Queens Network, where we bring our queens to the stage. Welcome to the podcast where we honor and acknowledge Black women performers and discuss racial issues within Michigan performing venues. I'm Ashley M. Lyle, and today I am joined by the wonderfully talented mezzo-soprano opera chorus singer, Tiffany Waldron. Hi, Tiffany. How are you today? Hi, Ashley. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So why don't you describe to me your style of opera? Um, I don't know if I particularly have a style. I mean, I kind of fell into it as a happy accident, if that makes much sense. I just go into whatever I can learn. Like I'm such a, I'm such a learner. So, you know, because I didn't study this in school, um, per se, I mean, I studied voice, but not opera as my main focus. So when I am into all of these operas, it's like a brand new thing for me. I'm learning about that composer. I'm learning about the styles and I don't really have a particular style that I fall into like at all. So I think, you know, singing wise, what I know that I am a dramatic mezzo based on like my range of how I sing. So it's pretty cool because I end up singing all of these different parts as, you know, I perform. And I could be singing the highest of keys. I could be singing the lowest of notes. And it's just so cool to just join. And I love the experience. I really just don't have a particular style. Mm-hmm. What, what inspired you to pursue opera? My undergrad vocal professor, the second one I had, the first one happened to retire like the, after my first year. Her name is Professor Seeger. She was an opera singer and she traveled around the world and she also sang with the Michigan Opera Theater. And at my recital, my senior recital, she was talking to my parents and to myself. And she was like saying, I really think you should think about going for like a master's of music and vocal performance. And you should probably look into the Michigan Opera Theater. She's like, chorus auditions are, you know, every so often. And you might want to look into it and see if that's something for you. So I was like, all right, like, it would be kind of fun. Like, you know, I've never really have been in the opera. And I'm like, I know I knew something about it. But I was like, I don't really know much. But I auditioned. And my first opera was Porgy and Bess. And I absolutely loved it, Ashley. I couldn't tell you how much joy it was to me to finish, like, working for the day and coming to Detroit and 
doing all these rehearsals with all these wonderful, fabulous singers. And then when it was time to actually do the production and we're on stage and it was just beautiful. I loved it. And I kind of like, you know, got addicted <laughs> to the whole thing. <laughs> so you got the chance to do Porgy and Bess. How long ago was that? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, that was in 2006. Mm, okay. When I was able to do Porgy and Bess. So that was my that was my first opera with the Michigan Opera Theater. I, I haven't gotten the chance to see that show, and I'm dying, dying to see it. <laughs> wow, it is it's so beautiful. You know, while we were in lockdown a few weeks ago, um, they they were showing on the uh, local PBS public television channel. They were showing the Porgy and Bess production that they did just recently at the Met. So, you know, just as nostalgia, I put it on. It was really late in the in the night, you know, because I was kind of tired. And I know it's like a three-hour show. Mm-hmm. And I decided to just sit and watch it. And I'm just recalling the fun I had. And I'm just singing this thing over and over again. I absolutely just, it was, I loved it. So it's a fantastic show if you ever get a chance to see it. Live or in person. Live or online. Yeah, I... I- tried to get a chance to see it. And, you know, I went to like the regular PBS channel, channel 56, to see if it was recorded, if it came on. And I I don't know, I didn't see it. But then I realized that it was uh, showing on like the, I guess the premium PBS channel. I don't know. I don't know. It was- was Wow, I didn't know there was a premium PBS channel. (laughs) I know you wouldn't think so, right? But uh, according to the cable package that I have, the Porky and Bess showed up on that channel, and I don't, I don't have that channel, so I thought that was just strange. I don't know, but it might be. I'm pretty sure it's on on the uh, PBS website, and I can just probably watch it from there. Yeah, give it a try. It's it's just fantastic. It's mm-hmm. it's hard, I think, in the beginning. It's I guess it's a little bit chaotic in how things are going, and you're not really sure. This is what I've heard from my parents who saw this years ago when I was in it, and they said it was a little bit hard in the beginning to figure out what was going on. But you know, there's a pivotal moment in the show, like early on, that it starts to catch their attention a little bit more, and they can follow along and see what's going around. But it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Music is wonderful. <laughs> so. When you're performing, what would you say the audience looks like? Would you say that there's more women, more men, more black people, more white people? It's hard to see, like, you know, out in the audience because, well, I don't particularly look out there. I'm so engrossed in, like, having the fun on stage. That's just the personal joy for myself. Uh, but your audience is mostly white because I, from what I can see from like the first couple of rows out and then looking around, it, it's mostly white members that you're seeing. Older people in the box seats that you can see uh, from the stage as well. It's mostly white. They, I know there are like, you know, people of color going to the, the opera, but they might be end up, they might be sitting more likely, you know, in like the back rows based on like price of tickets or whatever. And maybe in the balcony section, which... You really can't see fully who's up there. Mm-hmm. Do you ever notice there's a a difference in energy between, like, say, a black audience versus a white audience? Well, when we did Porgy and Bess, that was probably more predominantly black. Um, I think they, if I believe, I remember they actually advertised and did like little mini concerts at like churches around Detroit, the Detroit area. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a lot of um, 
you know, African-American members coming to the opera. And that was a lot of, you know, like you felt it. But, you know, I'm not sure if it's like any big difference. I think because of that particular show, it has such a great, rich history that like everyone loves loves it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Depending, I think the storyline is what really ends up deciding like what's the energy of the audience. When we have like the student and senior dress rehearsal, like the day before, that's always what we call like just to ourselves, like that's like our tester like audience because they're going to give you like the cheers or the jeers if they love it or you're not going to hear anything if they don't like it. So (laughs) (laughs) So that's always always how how we gauge. So there's been some shows where they're like cheering so loud at the end of, at the beginning of like the second act, like after, you know, intermission. And you know, you've got something that they're really interested in. And mm-hmm. that's always exciting. So what would you say, what kind of techniques you've learned in your artistic career as an opera chorus singer that got you to where you are today? I did do classical training in school um, mm-hmm. because my bachelor's is in music education. So voice was my predominant instrument. But, you know, I we didn't focus so much in when in my lessons at that point, we didn't focus on like learning the languages like Italian, French, and German. I didn't learn how to enunciate them like correctly. I we I learned just to do what I needed to do is was the whole idea. So when I went into the opera uh, scene and I had to, the first day you come into rehearsal, better have a good, you better know how to sight read your music or you have better practice before you come in. You have you're already told this is not university. You better come in as a professional and know your stuff. So I am. I wasn't like that great at remembering how to, uh, you know, pronounce my Italian words or my French or my German. So I had to learn that quickly and learn how to do it more efficiently, so I can actually produce what I need to and be on and be on target. I had to be a learned how to be a lot more disciplined, like very disciplined in practicing. Because you can have rehearsals will usually run like Monday, Wednesday, sometimes Friday nights, not our favorite, Saturdays and Sundays. So, you know, you can have rehearsal on Monday and we can either run, we'll run through like probably the entire score based on how much time you have. Time is usually about two hours of rehearsal time. That's like the least that they can do. And then it can do more. You will get a, you will go through it. She she will let you know, hey, we're going to, I'm going to keep you on track, have this memorized and be ready to sing it off book for the next rehearsal. And that's Monday night. So you're leaving like at 10 o'clock at night. I'm going home. I still have to work all day Tuesday and I have like, you know, other jobs or stuff to do. And then Wednesday I have to work again. (laughs) And then you have to go to rehearsal that night and you better have it because you're looked at and, you know, it's based on how quickly you can, you can turn around your music, have it memorized and be ready to go. So those are one of the biggest things with, especially with my languages as well. I finally got to sing a German opera. I sang a French opera, which I was super scared about. Probably still am. <laughs> um, I also got to sing a French opera, uh, not French, Russian. We did um, Onegin, and I forgot. I think it was like two years ago, if I'm not mistaken. And that was in Russian. So we had a Russian diction coach who came in and worked with us for a couple of rehearsals. And then we had to go home and practice. And I was walking around my school building when I had a, a free moment, like practicing Russian because <laughs> I needed to get that done. I, I, I needed to work on it and make sure it was sounding like Russian because you were called out, <laughs> not usually like, like, you know, individually, but you got the look that, hey, you got to fix it. 
Okay, sorry about that. No, don't worry about it. Um, okay, so, so the different languages that you had to learn with, uh, with the with the different songs that you've had to practice. How did you learn those those complicated languages? Like, what what practicing techniques did you use to to get them ingrained in your mind? Um, so when we started rehearsals. Um, your first day of rehearsals, you either pick up your score if you didn't have it. Um, I got into the practice of purchasing the score beforehand. I just wanted it for my own personal, you know, you know, use to make sure I can do all the notes I want to write in it. So um, you will go over, or the maestro will go ahead and go over all of the, um, the enunciations. So she will go through the entire score and she will say it we will say it back to her. She wants to ch just check it and make sure that we're on target. Um, I will normally, and some of the people did this too, make a recording of her, um, of our speech um, during that first rehearsal. Some people um, were really good at either condensing what she did and then sending out a, a practice track for everybody, which was really kind of them. Um, but earlier on, like in the early years, we would just record it. Uh, and then I would go back home and practice and learn it. And eventually I learned like what certain, like, you know, vowels will, will, will uh, sound like. And when you have like certain like combinations of letters, what you should do and how to make that sound. And then you just get into the hang of it uh, for me personally. Um, so that's how I worked on them. I also have a vocal uh, teacher. So I would create a lesson with her and then I'll go with her and go to her home and then we will practice together because, you know, I told her that's my goal. I want to make sure that I'm singing everything correctly and I've got what I wanted to. So it's an investment, you know, just to go for a lesson or two and just to check up on it. But it's pretty much like practice, like practice continuously. And even when I'm not um, working, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not at rehearsal and I'm, I will write things down like in a little notebook. Uh, and when I have a little break with my time, I would sit there and I will read through it and I will just say it. And I will, I sometimes I record myself while I'm saying it and then just play it back to myself just to make sure I've got it. But I would do that. Um, another way uh, to go over those languages and just to make sure I have it is I always listen to a recording. So you got, and you have to be careful because, you know, sometimes, you know, some professionals are not always singing everything correctly, but whatever. So I will just try to find a, a decent recording based on recommendations and I will listen to how they enunciate words in those languages and practice. And then once I was comfortable enough, I will go ahead and do it with the, um, with the melodic line and go from there. That's so cool. I, um, I had a, a voice teacher several years back and she was teaching me to sing Ave Maria. And oh. yeah, and it, it was, I, of course, growing up Catholic, I only knew just that one part. Yeah. 
<laughs> but then you the, have to start somewhere. Yeah, but then the rest of it, as as she was, you know, working with me uh, to sing the song, it was it was you know just growing more and more complicated because I just did not know the the words at all and thankfully it wasn't it wasn't anything like a like a like for an upcoming performance or anything she just wanted me to practice it but it was so complicated i can't even imagine having to try to compress all of that information in such a short amount of time to be ready for a show it's a lot i i've always had really good success especially in college as well in memorizing music and being able to like just sing it for like juries or my recital. So I never had that hardship, but I mean, it's still difficult no matter what you're, whenever you're doing it, because I have never in my career repeated a show Mm -hmm. or production. So I have learned 20 something brand new operas every single time. Wow. (laughs) I mean, I've never had that luxury. And, you know, it's funny because we audition every single year and I just happened to look at my resume like probably a few years ago. And I'm like, wait a minute, I've never repeated a show. And it's like, (laughs) I'm like, I have been working like 10 times harder (laughs) than some people because some of my friends have already repeated a show. So they didn't have to do that much work and prep for like that particular opera. But for some Mm -hmm. interesting reason, I just never got hired for that show when it was out the first time. And I was like, oh, like everyone else is like, oh, I know how to do this. And I'm like, I don't got a clue. I don't know how this goes. So it's uh, it was kind of crazy there. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I've had the chance to perform at Detroit Opera House, but it was, it was for their, um, their extras thing. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the opera that I was a part of was Electra. And that was- Oh, yes. That was a pretty interesting show. You know, that was that was pretty interesting. All I remember, the most that I remember from it, because it was it, so much was just going on that I, <laughs> I can't even remember everything. But what I remember the most was that we had to dress up, you know, looking like like tattered old villagers. <laughs> and there was this one part where uh, they needed somebody to give the guttural scream, like in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, and I had to do that. So I had to do the screen. Oh, and great. <laughs> it, but it was so funny because it was like a it was like a quick scream off in the mm-hmm. rehearsal room. And they said, OK, we need somebody to scream. Who can scream? And it was like five of us where we raised our hands and they asked us to scream. And and then they ended up picking me to do it, which it was so, <laughs> it was so interesting. So but just the whole thing, it was actually like the first gig that I had where I actually got paid, you know, in a theatrical sense. Huh. And it was very interesting, really, really cool. I got to meet some fantastic singers. Yeah, that, that was a cool show. I actually was in that show too. You were? Um, Wait, was it? Oh, God. There was, there, it was at the very end. There wasn't a lot of chorus members. And I think what what they wanted was that, I guess, at the very like end they decided that they wanted this chorus part to be sung because Electra doesn't have a, a chorus, really. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like one little small part. And so I got an email and it was like, hey, 
can you sing this part for us? Blah, 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 come here. And so there's a group of us that got to come and we sang in the pit, the orchestra pit. Mm. So that's why you didn't see us. We can't, we just came in in black. We sang our part for like two minutes. I think it was not even that long. And then we left. <laughs> that was it. Gotcha. You know, and I, I remember, and that was like what, in 2011? Oh, I don't remember. Uh. <laughs> Electra? No. It had to have been earlier. It had to be later than that. I would say 2015, 2016. Okay. Yeah, that's probably that, that that's probably around that time. Yeah. I remember seeing a group of people standing in black yep. in the in the hallway. <laughs> that's so <laughs> weird. That's it. <laughs> that is that was us. Yep. We had to, we had to wear all black. We had to stand in the hallway because we had to go into the pit and we wanted to stick out. Mm-hmm. But people, I mean, of course, like people who were in the front row will have saw in second. They would have saw us, right? You know. And of course, the balcony saw us and we sang and then we left. That's so small world, you know, small, small mm-hmm. world. <laughs> <laughs> so performing is not your full time career, correct? No. OK, so do you do you want to talk about what your uh what your full-time job is and how you find that balance between opera and your regular job? Yeah. So I am an elementary vocal music teacher. So I teach the babies (laughs) and I get them interested in music from the beginning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, hopefully not from the beginning because I think parents should be working with them before Mm -hmm. that, but either way. (laughs) And how how do you find that balance between teaching and, and opera? As best of a time management as I possibly can, or however I can do it, because it's very time consuming, because I'm teaching. And as anyone who knows an effective teacher, you're not you're working all the time, Mm -hmm. like I'm on all the time, like in the summer, I'll be sitting here, I'll be, I'll think of something, or I'll see something, and I'll be writing it down, I'll be creating lessons, looking for whatever I can. So in the normal work day, I'll be planning doing whatever I need, and as I told you before, when I had like a free moment when I didn't have to do anything school related, I had my music with me. I had my music score in my bag, or I had my note cards that had all of my uh, pronunciations I need to work on, and I was practicing mm-hmm. and I was doing it. So I will be, let's say, like a typical like Wednesday. So when Wednesday was my hardest days because I had to do, I had to be out of my home for like pretty much the whole day. So I would wake up like at six, get ready for work, go into work, set up for my day, teach for the whole day. Then at the end of the school day, that was the day that we had staff meetings, which are awful if you ever have to sit through (laughs) any of those. I can't stand sitting through staff meetings, especially when they have nothing to do with the music teacher. Right. So I will sit through the staff meeting that will be over at 530 and then I would have either rehearsal at 6.30 p.m. in Detroit, and that would take me like over an hour to get there from where my location was. Oh, goodness. Or I would have rehearsal at 7 o'clock, which would be a saving grace, because then I get to at least drive to my house a little bit, drop off my bag and my computer and everything like that from work, change out of clothes if I wanted to get something comfortable on, because I'm always for business wear at school. That's just my thing. And then... I will go to rehearsal and I'll be in rehearsal for either two to three hours that night. And then I have to drive back home and I probably won't get home until like 10, 30, 11. And then I'm either trying to make a late dinner, try to catch up on cleaning part of my house and then taking a shower, going to bed and do it all again the next day. Wow. 
man, that, that, that's gotta be crazy. So with your lesson plans, you, you must have them like done in advance, like at least a month in advance, especially when oh. you're doing a oh, show, no, no, right? No, no, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. I do not have those time. I wish I was like that, like super duper dedicated. I mean, I love my job. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm a highly effective teacher. I've been rated pretty well, but you know, I plan, I, I just have the time management where I know what I need to do and get done mm-hmm. and make sure that nothing just falls out of step. So, I mean, when I'm lesson planning, I, I have like a blueprint. Like I usually write down a little blueprint for myself and I usually keep it or I end up like tossing it because I have pretty much a good photographic memory on some of those things, especially because I've been Mm -hmm. teaching such a long time at this point. Uh, So I would just like have a blueprint. I know where the kids need to go and what steps I need to like take. And then I will go ahead. And that way, when I write my lesson plans each week, I know what progression we need to take we need to go for each grade because i'm teaching young fives which are like four-year-olds who are turning five late in the year Mm -hmm. but before the cutoff but their parents need need them the parents know that they need a little bit more time to grow before they're ready for kindergarten and then i teach up to fifth grade so i have to plan for a young fives class kindergarten for a second third fourth fifth and then i have special needs students that need to have that have special classes so I have to plan for them as well. And then I have to do all their modifications. So, you know, I kind of know the order of how everyone has to go. And I've gotten pretty good at managing my time to make sure I get all that stuff done before I start practicing. Because when I'm home and I don't have to go to rehearsal that evening, although I'm tired, I know I have to get that in so that I at least don't, I don't fall behind. And I've gotten pretty good at juggling all of them. Okay. So let me ask you this. Okay, I'm switch gears a little bit. So as a black woman in a white dominated industry such as opera, what kind of obstacles or challenges have you faced because you're black and a woman and how did you overcome them? I haven't really had much challenges except for when it comes to like costuming and like how the show's going to run. So, you know, cultural appropriation is something that I'm becoming a lot more aware of in like, you know, my teaching career and in the opera career. And we did a particular show where we had to like, we were singing things that were, and I didn't realize it until like, you know, just like in the last like two years or so that were just offensive to the Asian culture, for example. Um, And it's now I think about it and like when we were wearing the makeup, you know, and we had to like slant our eyes with it. I, I, I kind of, I feel a way and I'm like, oh, wow, should I been doing that like you know I'm so aware of the stereotypes and the biases people have about me as being a a black woman and I know how certain things feel and now it's like oh my goodness is this how you know was I doing that to someone else and that's where I you know feel the guilt of doing it and I'm I wonder now are they actually what are they going to do with these shows moving forward are they going to ever bring them back if they do bring them back like the the wording of some of these pieces uh the costuming I saw one show that I was not a part of in this in that season in a particular season and they had the people they had some people like like they had like orange makeup all over their body and I'm assuming they were trying to be tan or dark or whatever but one it looked extremely weird from being off stage because I was sitting with the audience but you know I remember at that point I just looked at it and I was like "Mm, okay why are we all wearing orange makeup like what was the whole 
point of it. <laughs> right. and, I mean, yeah, it's like, I know, what, I, I knew, I, I got what they were trying to do, but I was like, uh, I don't think that's okay. And I was like, I feel like it was a little bit like blackface mm-hmm. for it. You know, I, they also did an, another show that I was a part of. Uh, they did darken some of the people and they, I don't think they did their faces. I don't know if they did their bodies, but it was just weird and, and, and how it was. I had to go back and look at pictures and see how that fit, how that fit. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the one that when I was off stage, that's what I really recognized. And I was like, mm, oh, that's not good. Right. And, and you know, it's when it comes to situations like that, and, and there's things that took me a minute to really realize where my privilege as a light skinned black woman, where that privilege is constantly exuded. And I had to learn from that myself, particularly stating Book of Mormon. I, I love Book of Mormon. I think it's hilarious. And then as I as I watched it more and more and started seeing different things and then learning about different things and then seeing where this new way of thinking yeah. is transferring into what I am seeing in Book of Mormon, I, I realized how incredibly racist that show is. And then, and then there is a purpose to it because it's the same creators as Avenue Q. Avenue Q has racism jokes yes. in it as well. And I was actually in Avenue Q and I played Gary Coleman. I realize now playing this caricature version of Gary Coleman, who is this iconic actor and who doesn't deserve to be portrayed in this sense, you know, it, it, is, it is damaging to his legacy. But getting back to Book of Mormon, seeing how me, one, as an American, two, as a light-skinned Black woman, me enjoying this show and then trying to want to be a part of that show is a level of privilege that is just astounding. And I have to personally realize that while it may seem funny to me, it may not be funny to someone who is from Africa or particularly from Uganda and see this show and see how incredibly racist and xenophobic it is. It's really difficult, you know, again, with like this, it's not like this was like brand new, but like now everyone's eyes and the spotlight on the world is on this whole topic. Mm -hmm. And just looking at all the things that I've done back in the past, you know, even with my teaching, I won't name what the program is because I don't want to shame it. But there was a particular program that I used to teach my students um, how to play an instrument. And, you know, they always gave them like a reward after they passed like a certain level. And for like a concert, I used to purchase like, you know, these like materials and I would have them wear it for the concert. And we like try to like emulate a certain like style of like fighting. And it was not that I, I realized and I know what's going on. I'm so ashamed that mm. I actually participated in that. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I had students who were of that nationality or that culture. And I can't, I'm like, oh my gosh, what did their families think when I put this on? I mean, mm. they didn't say anything to me. Um, and I wish they did because I always tell like my students, I said, look, honesty is best. Just talk it out. I said, if I'm wrong, I'm going to say I'm wrong. And I was wrong big time in doing that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always tell them, like, t- just tell me and we'll work, we'll work through it together. But, you know, a lot of the shows, when I go back and I just look and learn about these things and I see, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so inappropriate. Who did, who was that offensive to? Mm-hmm. Because I know how it feels for me when 
I hear people like, you know, singing songs that I know are racist. When I see people like, you know, for example, like they're always using the Confederate Confederate flag, swinging it around. And you know how that makes you feel. So I'm like, well, how did we make everyone else feel or another person feel when we actually did all of those shows? Right. So I'm excited to see how the opera world is going to evolve mm-hmm. and hopefully the musical world evolved as well. Um, I did see Book of Mormon, so I, I do know what you're talking about. But when you think back and realize how some of these things played out, it's like, wow, I did not know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's and, you know, it, I created a, a, um, a black actor conference series with several fellow black actors and we talked about the racism within Michigan theater. But the one thing that I definitely want to put across, especially on my pat on my podcast, is that I'm still learning and figuring out what is incorrect for me, you know, to accept, to laugh about, to want to do. I remember a long time ago when I was speaking with my mentor and I read the play M Butterfly, which is a derivative of the show, Madam Butterfly. And I just fell in love with the story and um, I was telling him about it. And mind you, my mentor is an older white gentleman. And I told him about the the play and he says, yes, I'm very familiar with the show, but let me ask you this, darling, can you play in that show? And I thought, and it took me a minute and I'm like, well, and Butterfly is, is an Asian man dressed up as a woman. So he says, so then there you go. You can't play it on several levels. You can't play it because you're not a Japanese man. You can't play it because you're not a man, you know? And he told me long time ago, make sure that you pick when you're doing monologues to pick shows that are the closest to you that where you know that you can play it. And I think about it every time I go through a show that either doesn't list specifically if this person is of any race, if it does state specifically of of a particular race, if it's a black person, if it's a black woman, what age bracket it is. And it's just, it's a lot of different elements that I personally have to make sure that I'm on the nose with. Well, then now that there isn't that extra level of making sure that I'm picking the right shows for me to practice on. I could never as much as I may want to, I could never do, uh, I could never play Timoon in Once on this Island, and I could never be uh, the leading lady in Memphis, the musical, because those two roles are specifically for dark-skinned Black women. Right. You know, uh, the founder of Michigan Opera Theater, uh, Dr. D. Kiera, um, he was really, he really wanted to give people of color an opportunity to, 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 to shine and to start their careers. So, you know, in, in a sense, I understand that we cannot play everything mm-hmm. and I'll have to go back and look at it because off the top of my head, I don't really know who didn't play a role that was probably not meant, I guess, look wise for them in opera. It, uh, but he had a lot of people of color for principals for certain roles. And that was always great to see on my level because I'm like, oh, well, if I ever decide I want to move up, hopefully one day I'll get a chance at an opera company that will, you know, give me that shot. But he would always make sure that always have people of color doing roles that you didn't see around the world. And that was always great. But in turn, you also think, I'm trying to see, were there any roles 
that were not meant. I'm, I'm wondering, like, what does it mean, like, if a black person plays a role for someone who traditionally, quote unquote, has always been played by a white person? Mm-hmm. I mean, do we have to really go back and probably do and like really research the role and see does it say anything about their like skin or hair? I think, for example. To see if that's going to be, you know, something that they shouldn't play, or it's not, or not shouldn't play. It's just not for them. That they shouldn't play on the screen. I know for like Porgy and Bess, and I know I'm going back to that a lot, but I know this is a really great example. Is that you know a lot of white uh, singers want to sing in Porgy and Bess because the music is absolutely gorgeous, and mm-hmm. I just don't blame you. It's beautiful. Summertime is one of the most famous, like you know, arias to sing by a soprano and it's beautiful but you're not gonna get a a black you know or a white person excuse me to sing that in a on a stage production but when it's a concert when it's concert versions they usually do mm-hmm. or they can i should say not usually but they can it's an option so i wonder and that would be something for me to think about and to grow and for your listeners to think about as well do we think it's okay if you know white performers sing roles that are like supposed to be meant for black people in the concert versions on stage. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's a, it's, it's a moment where a theater production or a whatever production, it may be caught between a rock and a hard place because with, with a show like Porgy and Bess, which is historically known and historically required for black actors to be in that show to have it in concert form and where you're having white actors or I'm sorry white singers perform any one of those songs yeah it's like how, how do people feel particularly like if there is like spe- specific words that would apply to black people in the song you know then a white person should not sing it you know Take, for example, The Wiz, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Uh, there, I can't remember which song it is, but I know that there is a lyric where they say uh, five on the black hand side. You can't- oh, I think it's for like the, oh, that's for the crows. Yeah, you yeah. you can't expect a white person to sing that line. You, you just can't. Cause it's, it's, it's um, that line in particular is specific to to the black culture you know what i mean so you couldn't you can't really expect a white person or think that you can give that that song to uh a white person to sing it because it just doesn't fit you know Correct. yeah you know it's funny because i actually did that show in, in high school <laughs> in other words i was at a pearl uh, uh-huh. that was such a that was such a great show but and it was funny because i um I went to a boarding school for my senior year and it was an international school. So there were really not that many black people. It was a really small school mm-hmm. in, in the scope of from where I used to go before that. So we were doing, we had the whiz and I, I got, I auditioned for like to, to play whatever. And they were really wanting me to do Dorothy. And I said, I couldn't do it. I didn't want to do it because I was, I knew I needed to focus on my studies. That's how like crazy I was at the time. So like I had to focus on my studies and I'm like, I really did not want to have such a huge role. So I was like, I want to take a lesser role just mm-hmm. to, to do that. But I, I wondered if they, 
I wonder if my teacher, and I can find her online, if she ever thought about doing this show with like pretty much a, a predominantly like, you know, light, really light skinned white like cast. So very mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. How that will work out. <laughs> In another show that I, I've seen plenty of theaters do, particularly community theater, they do the show Thoroughly Modern Millie. And <laughs> has a um it was so funny because I I've only heard a few songs here and there from Thoroughly Modern Millie. And I just love the music. So I purchased the CD before seeing the show. And I, I tend to do that sometimes because I want to see what the what the music sounds like before I actually see the show. And I listened to the music and there was one song in particular by the landlord. And when I, that, and it kind of struck me a little bit. So then when I actually watched the show, I found it on YouTube, the, this, this landlady, and I'm probably, saying her what what her character is incorrectly but she is she was a white woman portraying an asian character in the most derogatory stereotypical way you know and it was it it was very cringy to watch you know it's just and and I can understand why some people will want to do a show so badly. However, when you have a show like Thoroughly Modern Millie or Avenue Q, particularly Avenue Q because they the show is based on racist jokes. However, if you're doing a show like Thoroughly Modern Millie or Avenue Q and a, and you have a white woman playing this Asian character, you know, that's that's not that's not good at all, you know, because now you're going to be portraying this racist stereotype about Asian people and the way that they speak, drawing makeup around your eyes to make them look more almond shaped. And then that, that, that just ends up not being a good, a good, good scene. You know, I had a, I had several conversations about this show, Ragtime, and I I talk about Ragtime a lot because I have a love-hate relationship for it. But, you know, with a show like Ragtime, it has such a heavy responsibility of getting across uh, racism, xenophobia, elitism, and people just want to do that show because it's such a gorgeous show. The music is gorgeous, and I'm definitely not doubting that, but there is a heavy responsibility to get the, the, the messages across that show properly. Right. We have started doing in the past few years at the Upper House was we've done like shows that were for predominantly black, uh, you know, singers. We sang, um, what was that show called again? Oh, and I just did it and I'm totally blanking out. It was a baseball show. Man, I cannot remember this show. Baseball show. Um... Gosh, it was a baseball opera and I'm trying to think. Oh, oh Josh Gibson was the name. You said it was a baseball opera. <laughs> yeah, I cannot. Rem- I cannot remember this thing off the top of my head. I'll have to like search for this and look for it. I'll think it will come to me in a second. Mm-hmm. But it was so great because you know the show was written. Um, the only characters that had to be black were pretty much the uh, the, the the principal characters. So for the for the most part, we did have um, in the chorus, which was. Great. We had a lot of people of color singing in the chorus with like a few white participants in it. So that was always great. Um, I had an, another friend of the opera house who brought her 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 students. She also teaches well. She teaches older uh, students music, 
and she had them come to the show as a as an audience part of the audience and part of her lesson when they got back to school was that they had to write a letter to a character and explain what they loved about that character and she read us some of the letters in the dressing room and my heart just was so full those kids representation matters 100% absolutely those those kids loved the show oh summer king yes i remember the yep, name I of the just, show i just pulled it up and i was about to ask you if it's called summer king <laughs> yes summer king i just remembered oh bless my heart so those kids loved it and like a lot of them wrote about like how they saw themselves in that character mm-hmm. they were able to relate to their feelings when they were singing certain things, they might not know everything because it might be a little bit above their head for some of the content. Right. But they, they understood it. It was so great. And I, I loved that. And, you know, when I teach, you know, I'm teaching younger students. And in my classroom, I'm all about representation. So when I'm showing, when I'm showing like video music clips of certain things or I'm reading books, I always make sure everyone's everyone's going to see themselves in something they have they have to so i'll show a clip and i think i was showing like the nutcracker i was we we're learning the nutcracker we we're learning about tchaikovsky in december because i think some of the kids were going to see the nutcracker so i was like oh we're going to learn about him and you know find out what's going on and mm-hmm. i was showing them little clips about of of the story and i would make sure i would find an asian like dancer or i would find a black dancer or I found a white dance. I, I always try to find, I look at my students and I'm looking for videos and it might take me a really long time to find that online, but I, I still found it mm-hmm. and I showed it to them and they, they saw it and they under, and they, they got, they kind of related. So uh, the cute thing is when you teach kindergarten, it's kind of fun. I give them a little free time at the end of the, of the class. So they can like explore things that we didn't do in class that day, like instruments or they can dance or whatever. And I would get kids who would tell me, can you put that music back on again? Mm. Because they saw themselves in it and mm-hmm. they want to just dance to it. And I said, okay. And I'll let them do it. That's so um, great. It's beautiful. Oh, I love and, it when kids connect to musicals or music theater in some kind of way. Cause it, it theater and music, it, it really does shape a kid a lot, a lot more than what we really realize. And it's, it's, a terrible shame and it's it's something that needs to be fought for harder to make sure that art stays in schools and that there's enough money funding for it absolutely you know when we had this pandemic and we had the lockdown you know my school district well we all locked down at the same time so but mm-hmm. we actually were a little bit more proactive because they saw the writing on the wall and so we were getting out all of those te- technology pieces to kids we asked parents, well, like, tell us now, tell us now. We had like drive ups, everything. They were really working hard. So I do credit them a lot for what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what we had to do for the remainder of the year for a quote unquote special area, we like to say essential because we are. Yes, uh, we are. We had, we had to plan lessons once a week to put up on a platform for each grade level. And you can, you can combine the levels. That was fine. It wasn't a big deal, but you can like do like second and third grade together, for example. But anyway, so we'll put the, put the the stuff up and, you know, they will reply to it and respond and then we'll go back and check it. I did not have a lot of students jumping on and doing 
our particular lessons uh, for numerous reasons. But one of the nice things was that I got one or two parents who wrote a separate email and said, thank you so much for what you're doing. It's really difficult. We're having a hard time, but I want to let you know, you might not see us actually physically sending in an answer to what you're doing, but my child is logging on every week at Monday at 8 a.m. to see what you guys posted and they want to do it. And we have to ration it out to make sure they don't do all of it in one day <laughs> because they, they said they loved it. I mean, they said it's a, it's a lot because it's overwhelming. And we understood, like, I was like, look, I know we're in a pandemic. This is never something we have expected to happen. We knew it was going to come. I mean, looking at history, but you know, right. you're just always surprised that it's going to be your, your time. So they just said, we, we couldn't really do it, but we enjoy it. And it's su- it's such a great way to get kids to be creative. I mean, I can get kids, I'm like, make up a story. And some kids just get so stuck and they can't do it. Like I will put on classical pieces of music and I, I like to put on opera because that's just my love. And I put it on and I'm like, listen. And I'm like, what do you think the story's about? What do you feel? What's going on? You're trying to get them to start talking and like, like you know, expressing themselves verbally or if they can't do it that way i'm like go ahead and dance i said that's another expression Mm -hmm. i'm like or go ahead and i give them a piece of paper i'm like go ahead and color and draw they're like that's a part of music i'm like absolutely Mm -hmm. i was like absolutely you have to you have to see it in all different ways and i'm like i want you i always tell them like it's not always about can you do music can you sing can you play it's can you respect the 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 Arts, do you know how to appreciate it? Can you interpret it? What is your feeling? I said, it's, there's never a right or wrong answer. I was like, you just need to be able to just like tell us what you feel and show someone your side. I said, it's a great way. I said, when I perform on stage, I said, I don't always know everything that it means, like the words. I mean, eventually I do go back and look it up, but I have to produce that feeling. What do I... Feel, what's that interpretation? If the director is not giving it to you, you're going to have to show something because you don't want to walk on stage and just sing and walk off. Mm-hmm. You actually have to show, like have some emotion because you're trying to get the, the audience to feel something and how should they react to certain things. That's the whole point. And I said, it just all ties in together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just always, it's just a beautiful thing. And I'm, I'm always excited when I can get, you know, my students to really feel something. Yeah. You don't like it? Cool. Why don't you like it? And they look at me stunned. And I'm like, nope. It, you you got to have an answer. <laughs> I can't just say I don't like something. I, you have, give us a reason. I said, that's so cool. Sometimes I always tell them like, hey, be a lawyer. State your case. <laughs> I'm, like, that's, I'm like, you might be a lawyer someday. I'm excited. I'm like, just tell us what, why you don't like. I'm like, it's, always, it's okay to agree to disagree but I want you to be able to do that. The music does all of those things for people, which is just fantastic. What kind of moral support do you get for your artistic, uh, well, yeah, for your teaching and your uh, opera career? Oh, like for my family and such? Or friends? Mm -hmm. Family, friends. Oh, well, it's funny because pretty much most of my friends are part of the opera. (laughs) They're part of the music scene. So, I mean, we all know our struggles, you know, I mean, we still talk about it. We all know like, yay, our successes, our sadnesses, you know, sadness. With my parents, you know, my parents are not from America. They're from uh, Trinidad and Tobago. 
so I'm a first generation born in America here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, music is like not really like, I guess, a career that you're supposed to follow. They want you to be like a doctor or a lawyer. And my brother has followed that path. That's good for him. God bless him. But, you know, I I could have possibly done that, but it wasn't my, you know, that wasn't my love. I, I loved music so much and I was so into it. I like when I got a chance to learn, I think my first instrument I profession I actually learned was to play the violin when I was in fifth grade and my family moved uh, to like a certain spot uh, and that had a huge music program. So I was able to start learning and I just took off with it. And, you know, when I went to school, I, I went to school for computer information systems. I was good at computers. I was excellent. I did like it, but I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. So I eventually did get a chance to change my major to music education. I just auditioned on a whim. Like I, I was like, oh, maybe I can teach music. I'm like, do I like kids that much? Ah, I don't know. I'll just, you know, try it out. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I auditioned, got into it. I tried it. I mean, seriously, I did not know if I was going to actually teach until like I got into student teaching and I loved it. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. I mean, I liked kids, but I didn't know if I was. I had that passion to be around kids all the time. If I can do right. it. I mean, now I mean, you can't tear me. You really can't tear me away with uh, away from it unless there's a big reason. Mm-hmm. But um, my parents, you know, they were always skeptical of me doing the career, and they were afraid that I wouldn't be able to support myself and, uh, you know, make a decent living and just be able to be happy. Uh, so, you know. When I got, I did music education, I'm like, well, I can just be a music teacher. And they were like, okay, I probably should start out. I should have probably said that my parents paid for my uh, undergrad, which I'm very blessed and thankful for immensely mm-hmm. for that. So they, you know, they weren't very excited, but I, I, I got a teaching job pretty much like the next school year. Uh, I graduated in December. So I had to wait until like fall to get a job and I got a teaching job, um, and I was working and I was, you know, making decent money. Not a lot because they don't really pay teachers super well. But that's another conversation. Right. So, you know, they, they saw that I was I was able to start supporting myself a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And I mean, and then I did, I joined the upper house and I'm like, well, hey, it's, it's extra money. And I'm like, I'm learning something brand I'm, I'm learning something brand new. You know, I'm, 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 I'm still perfecting my craft. And I get to still teach, which I love. So that was cool. And I was just doing both. And then I got another job. I work at a, a church. I, I do like, I have like a really tiny, small choir. Not right now because of the pandemic, but you know, mm-hmm. I work with them and I do their music. So, you know, I'm, I'm all of my, my, all of my career choices have all been based on music, what I've learned. So my parents are super supportive. It's so funny because like a couple of years ago, I heard my overheard my mom on the phone talking to somebody. I forgot who it was, and I heard her saying, "Oh yeah, she's a mezzo soprano. She sings for the Michigan." And da 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 da. And I'm sitting there like, "Who is this woman? <laughs> who, who is she? like?" It's, I'm like, "Oh, like." And my dad like happens to like pass by, and he's like, "Yeah, she talks about you a lot to people." Oh. And like, and like, there's so, there's so proud, and like now that. I was able to purchase my first home a few years ago, you know, and I'm living on my own. I'm and my whole, I can, I can say that music su- is supporting my life. And mm-hmm. that's always such a great feeling. And I, I love it. That's I really great. love it. <laughs> so 
We reached the end of our conversation and I have one final question for you. And I call this the Queen's Request. Okay. So I would like for you to suggest to me one to two Black Michigan women artists, and that could be in any genre, in music, dance, burlesque, poetry, anything. Women artists, and when I say women, uh, I want to make sure that I'm referring to cis, trans, and non-binary individuals. Mm -hmm. Who should we be keeping an eye out for? Uh, Gosh, there are two. And one of them, I can't pronounce her name her last name very well. There is a young woman named Kaswana. I think her last name is Kayinde. I'll have to look it up. So I apologize for saying it incorrectly. She is an amazing singer. I have, she, I, uh, Opera Moto is a, um, a uh, opera company that puts on all these great productions, you know, around Detroit as well. Mm-hmm. And she was, uh, singing one of the one of their lead uh principal roles for which opera was it i think it was the console and it was beautiful i mean you know it's funny because i sing with these people like in the chorus sometimes and i haven't sung with her that much um but we don't i don't always listen to everyone else's voices so i'm I'm so worried about my own (laughs) at that moment (laughs) but eventually you sit back and you relax and i listen because i have to blend at some point like i gotta be conscious but I heard her sing, and it was just amazing, absolutely amazing. I was just blown away to hear how clear, how loud, how sharp her voice was. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm a fan of technique. I mean, I I always strive to like get to be better. You know, I know this is not my quote unquote main career, like being a opera singer, but I love it and I take it seriously. You know, technique is something I so want to focus on so mm-hmm. that's one that's one thing and her technique is fantastic another person as well is nicole joseph she was also in another production um that i just can't think of it off the top of my head as well oh it was hansel and gretel they did that as well with the opera moto mm-hmm. and i went to see her singing in that and just a beautiful lyric soprano i mean oh it was just, you know, when you can sit there and you're lost in the show because of just how glorious that so- it sounds, I could close my eyes and just hear her sing. Yeah. And just be blessed by that beautiful sound. Like, I so love it when I have women who, especially Black women, who can show us what we can do. Mm-hmm. And I know they can really make it far. Yeah. Those are my two recommendations. So okay. I would look out for them. Now, is there anything that you want to promote, like any social media or a website? No, I would just say, you know, please just support the arts in all its forms. You know, it's a it's a tough time out there right now. I just want people to, you know, support the arts in any way you can. Remember, we'll, we'll be there. We'll be, yes. we'll be there for you. So just please support us we'll support you we'll give you all the love and we'll make sure that we all get through this together yes yes definitely support the arts support your local uh theaters in the area because we're me coming from an actor's background and going to these different theaters please definitely make sure that you are doing what you can to support your theaters to let them know that you're still here you're waiting for them to open back up so yeah yes do that they're out there they're great Michigan Opera Theater, Opera Moto. Mm-hmm. I'm just a good patron. So, hey, look out for them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed our talk today. I appreciate you taking the time out and, and 
talking with me and talking about your uh, your music uh, teaching career. It was so interesting. And, and I loved hearing you speak about your passion for teaching the kids along with your passion of opera. And it, it was just, it was really great listening to you. And I appreciate you taking the time out sitting with me and talking about it. Well, thank you, Ashley, so much for inviting me. Yes. It was great to talk to you. It was great talking to you too. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. You can find Black Queens On Stage podcast and Black Literature and Art Queens Network at blackqueensonstage.com and blaqn.org. Follow me on Instagram at blaqn show Michigan, on Facebook at blaq show Michigan, and on Twitter at blaqnmi. You can find all this info in the show notes. Please rate the show and leave a review on Apple Podcast or on Podbean to let me know what you think of the show. Thanks again. Until next time.